Welcome everyone to episode number nine of the Lead Volunteers Podcast, where we help you turn volunteer pains into ministry gains. I'm your host, Jeff Reining. And my name is Josh Denhart, and we're super glad you're here. I gotta say, wow, episode number nine, we're making our way. Oh, we're coming up on double digits. That's right. Our goal with the Lead Volunteers Podcast is pretty simple. We wanna help ministry leaders get skills, get inspired, and get moving. I'm in full-time ministry myself as a youth and missions pastor. I know that I am constantly in need of new skills. I wanna be inspired, and truth be told, I often need a little kick in the pants to get moving. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope that I'm not the only one, but we're here because we want you to get skills to more effectively recruit, train, and retain volunteers and avoid ministry burnout. Exactly. We want this podcast to be a practical source for you to get doable ideas. We want you to get some skills, as the kids <laughs> say. We want this to be like a breakout session uh, that's in your back pocket at any time. We want to get you inspired to pour back into your bucket uh, so that your heart gets filled and thrilled all over again for being in this thing that we call ministry. Yeah, and hopefully also reignite the passion for ministry that initially brought you to it. And our greatest hope is that you'll be pushed forward towards action. We want to help you get moving. Exactly. So here, uh, I have a saying that I've recently adopted. It's, if nothing changes, nothing changes. We want to be a catalyst for you for you to change, right? So here's the deal. If you want next year to be the same year that you had last year as for your recruiting push? I don't know, man. A lot of people I talk to, they say, no way, man. Something's got to change. Okay, great. Well, if something's got to change and nothing changes, then nothing's going to change. Ah, it's kind of crazy, That's right? right. If nothing changes, nothing changes. <laughs> All oh, right. Boy. So as we dive in, a common question that I often get is, what are you reading right now? So, yeah. yeah, I get that too. I get that question a lot. Mm -hmm. I'll just ask you, Josh, what, what are you reading right now? Well, I got to say, in this season of my life, I'm doing a lot more listening than I am actually reading books. I have a subscription to audible.com, and I get a new, bu uh, a new book with that subscription each and every month. Um, I'm recently, well, I recently listened. I'm gonna, I was going to say I read a book. <laughs> I recently listened to a book called The Power of Habit. Absolutely fascinating. Now, this book was um, actually more about how people's habits are dictated and even subtly how like somebody's life is dominated by habits more than it is about how to create personal habits. And here's the deal. I thought in my mind, like, hey, maybe this is going to help me create better and more effective habits. It was actually kind of an interesting book, right? It blew my mind about how much um, our lives are dictated by habit. Now, another one that I've been listening to or listened to was C.S. Lewis, right? It's a classic book called The Screwtape Letters. For those in ministry who do not know about this book, it's a super cool book written from the perspective of one of the demons uh, called Screwtape, who's writing letters to a lower, less experienced demon named Wormwood, right? So they talk about some effective strategies to derail this new Christian. Definitely a profound book. How about you, Jeff? What you reading? Reading a couple different things, and as a staff, we like to read a book together and then talk about it each staff meeting every week. Right. Uh, we're currently reading Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek, and pretty interesting. It's a secular book on leadership, and uh -huh. it's fascinating how, as he talks about uh, leadership, it's very similar to just about every book I've read from pastors or uh, leadership within the church that he focuses more on the the science behind why the human brain thinks the way it does how mm. it's rewarded and and things like that and so taking that and we're shifting it into a ministry context but right. it's fascinating just how similar it is to every single book you kind of realize how science is slowly catching up to what the bible has been saying for thousands of right years on. and so right on. that's been super fascinating personally i've also just 
listen to on Audible, a book called To Hell with the Hustle by Jefferson Bethke. Uh, I know John Mark Comer also has a, a book with a similar message, but just this idea that we live in this hustle culture. We're always trying to move faster and forward yep. better than the person next to us, and that creates higher levels of stress and anxiety and just kind of puts us in this constant state of anxiety that we're used <laughs> to living in our culture. And so doing a better job of scheduling margin or right. uh, creating space in your life to do the things that you're called to rather than feeling like you're always playing catch up. And so that's been really powerful for me lately. That's awesome. Are there any other books that you're reading or listening to? Uh, yeah, actually, I just recently started listening to like a fictional classic East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Now, I got to say, I've never really read any of these great American classics. So I just, I wanted to jump in and get cultured, right? And so this book, it's actually quite amazing. And it's 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 been heartbreaking, hilarious, and wonderful tale about like human behavior. I'm super glad I'm listening to it. My wife laughed at me the other day when I told her that it was a page turner, right? <laughs> I guess, yeah, if you're listening to it. How would you say that? I don't know. Who knows? Uh, but now beyond what you're listening to right now, what would be the book that has influenced you the most in terms of ministry and, and specifically volunteers? I would say the most influential book was a business book by a guy named Patrick Lencioni. It was called The Three Signs of a Miserable Job. Now, Patrick Lencioni, wonderful leadership author. Um, this book changed literally everything for me. The concept is quite simple. There are three signs of a miserable job, anonymity, immeasurement, and irrelevance. Interesting. So if you don't mind, could we kind of unpack each of those and see what that looks like? I think yeah. just, yeah, take one of these signs of a miserable job one by one. Let's start with anonymity. So now I think all of our listeners could guess what this sign of miserable job is and why it right. makes a role miserable. But I want to take some time and address each sign individually, if you don't mind. Got it. Okay. So anonymity, this is the, the, the idea of being unknown or invisible in a role or a job. At the end of the day, Everybody wants to be known by somebody. Now, do you realize that your volunteers might feel lost, alone, and not known by you as their leader? Uh, they may not feel known by you. They may feel like that they are a number, that they are overlooked, that they are just, I would say, even utilitarian. In other words, they are nothing more than a utility. Well, that's a sign of a miserable volunteer. Hmm. Yeah, no one wants to be anonymous as... It's derived from the special Greek word meaning without a name or namelessness and colloquial use anonymous. It, it's used to describe situations where the acting person's name is unknown. How about that? So Right, right? So like in, in a movie, right? This Like this random person who is just like a side character, they're called anonymous, right? Mm -hmm. Being anonymous is dangerous. It's dangerous in every single area of our life, but I think it's extra special dangerous in a ministry context. Yeah, I totally agree. I think... At our core, people want to be known by God and they want to be known by others. That's really the core of our job as ministry leaders, right? Like people want to be known and, and feel as if they're known by God and by the people around them too. Mm -hmm. And this, this one seems like a pretty straightforward concept, but it does take a level of intentionality, I think. Relationships, they take time, but time, it's also limited. And tasks have to be done along the way to keep that up. Absolutely. In ministry, gosh, it, it, and you said this book about whatever, what was it called? To Hell With to hell with the Hustle. To Hell With the Hustle. Ministry has turned into this big, huge hustle. And I mean, we're just like, it's fast paced. I get it. And ministry is task driven. Literally, there are tasks to be done. There are things that have to be done. I get that. But in my ministry, I began to shift because I'm a super task driven person. Jeff, you task driven? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So 
uh, Pastor Mike, your boss, he's not a task-driven guy. He's a very relational guy, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So for the task-driven people like us, I actually sought to make one of my tasks relationship building, right? So because I have a proclivity toward tasks, I just made tasks part, or excuse me, made relationships part of my tasks. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, um, we do have to balance this, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I know it can be hard for me to balance this too. As a task-driven person, I like that example of just putting it in your task list. Might have to take advantage of that. But I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels that way too. I'm sure there's people who are listening who resonate with the hard-to-balance aspect of this. And I know in my personal ministry context, as a mobile church, like we just set up and tear down each week. There's things, you know, Sunday's always coming and there's just <laughs> those things that you have to get done. And so it's really easy to let those distract you from doing relational ministry. For sure. So here's the funny thing. So uh, I am an elder at the church that you're on staff at, mm -hmm. right? And so this morning at 6.15, we had our, our latest elder meeting. And as we were getting ready to close up, one of the other elders said, hey, can I, can I just hijack this real quick i mean like we're literally getting ready to stop she said oh, that, can i say something so we pushed pause and this individual said this hey i get it that we are a mobile church and everything needs to be torn down but like take a longer view and think of a of, of like a person who's brand new to our church and all of a sudden the closing prayer there isn't even like there's a closing song and then kind of a closing prayer and bam and then all of a sudden it's like <laughs> dun, 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 and everybody's just marching to pull this thing off. Mm -hmm. I get that, right? It's kind of like being stuck in a musical almost where the musical number starts and you don't really know that it's a musical and you're kind of standing around looking at everybody <laughs> like, what's going on? Yeah, why like, is everyone moving? Why is everybody moving and why are they like jamming out, mm -hmm. right? And so the suggestion that this, that, that this person brought up is, can we as a church have just seven minutes of pause <laughs> between when church is done, and when that teardown rush takes place. That's interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Because because at the end of the day, there are a whole bunch of people who would love to have a conversation with other people. And if this church concept, even a mobile church, and if you're out there and you're a mobile church, I fundamentally know that you understand this because the longer that you, the longer it takes for you to start teardown, it's now 1.48 in the mm. afternoon, and it's like, dude, it's a task that has to be done. Am I right? Absolutely. But like we were saying before, there's a balance to it. And it's funny that that came up at an elder, boarding, elder board meeting this morning because yeah. we've tried that in years past where we're like, okay, band, wait 15 minutes before you tear down your instruments. Guys, let's just set a time limit so that we can be relational, and then everyone's fired up. All right, we got it. And then three <laughs> weeks later... I'm kind of tired this week. I just need to get home, watch the game, right. eat lunch. And right. But there's people out there that are viewing church as simply, right, tasks that are being done. But the, but people are the most, I mean, Jesus came not to set up and tear down. No, no, he came to save and, and seek the lost. And um, I got to tell you, there are people who are hurting everywhere and they want to know that somebody identifies with their pain. Come on. Mm -hmm. So but the idea then is we don't... Well, first of all, I would say that your average random Joe Blow doesn't want to be anonymous. But how much more so your volunteers, mm -hmm. right? They want to know that they are pulling off tasks for you, but you love them. And I got to tell you, 
before I was on staff at a church for over a decade, I was a power volunteer. You want to know something that was really painful for me? It was when the pastor who I was serving under, he took advantage of me by just having me pull off major aspects of his ministry, but he never he stopped getting to know me. He did it first, mm -hmm. but he stopped getting to know me. He stopped spending time with me. And he saw me as somebody who could carry off tasks for him. Mm -hmm. And that what you said before, uh, he did at first. That's what's been on my mind here. Because right. we put the effort in to give them the phone call to even plan out how that phone call is going to go before. And you talk to them and you get them plugged in and you work at really intentionally getting to know them and getting plugged into the ministry. And it's really hands-on it's face-to-face -face, yes. it's relational at first at first but then all right perfect got the volunteer locked in the position <laughs> next open position move on and then it's really easy in the task-oriented yes mentality to forget about that volunteer yes and so here's what happens then right so it becomes this plate spinning effort and what mm -hmm. you just described is very interesting you as a leader you got this plate spinning and you know that you have to get to know them in order for that plate to stay balanced. Make sense? Mm -hmm. I mean, like what a jerk, right? If you all of a sudden just said, hey, here's the task. I'm never going to talk to you again. You don't want to set that up. So you actually get to know them at the beginning. That's part of the process of getting that plate spinning. Mm -hmm. Then you walk away to get another plate spinning because that person is okay. That's spinning. Here's the trick. Most ministry leaders never come back to that plate. And so all of a sudden they're offended somehow when all of a sudden plates begin to fall and people come up to them and say, hey, you know, I think God is calling me to do something different, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because that person feels overutilized and under what? Under relationalized, <laughs> right? I like that. And so we need to, nobody wants to feel anonymous. And so in this book, The Three Signs of a Miserable Job, if somebody feels anonymous, that they are not known by someone else, it's going to go really, really, really bad for them. So um, it's a sign of a miserable volunteer. Now, the, the second one, right, is immeasurement. Now, that is a word that, Jeff, if you were to look up in the dictionary, it doesn't exist. Patrick Lencioni literally made up this word. Um, immeasurement. It's the inability to measure. Okay, so you've got somebody who feels anonymous, and that makes them feel yucky and they don't want to stay in this job. But immeasurement is just as dangerous. People have to be able to measure for themselves whether they hit a home run, whether they hit a single, or on a given day if they struck out. People need to know whether or not they won. Now, um, they need to know, people need to know as a volunteer who serves in your area whether or not they were successful. As leaders, we need to provide volunteers with like a super clear metric for what it means to win in this role, or they're not going to be successful. And, and here's the funny thing, immeasurement, not knowing what they're doing, that is a sign of a miserable job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny that you say that because we've talked about that in previous podcast we episodes, have. how to create step-by-step -step job descriptions so that our leaders know exactly how to win each and every single week. They can know, okay, I did this. Awesome. Thumbs up. Yes. I did, almost did this. That's all right. I can do this next week because exactly. I know it's still going to be there. It's consistent and it's measurable for everyone. Exactly. And so to not feel known by anybody and have an impersonal an impersonal experience, that feels really yucky, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I know that's kind of a weird word. Oh, it feels yucky, but it does. It feels like you're being used and abused. However, I had a volunteer a number of years ago, 
and he was a big dude. He was like a man's man. He had a old school flat top right out of the fifties. He was a former um, heavyweight wrestler in college, and he also was a middle linebacker. Okay, big guy. Big guy. <laughs> he was a man's man. And the funny thing is, is that I was actually with him. This is a dorky story. I was with him when he had when he tasted rice for the first time. And when he had a salad for the first time, we were both in our thirties, <laughs> right? So he was a true straight up meat and potatoes guy to the point that he refused rice because he only ate meat and potatoes. I mean, like think of it, uh-huh. flat top wrestler, mm-hmm. football player, meat, potatoes only kind of a weird story, but I had him in, I mean, he's a great guy, right? And he was super committed to the kingdom of God. And I placed him into a role and the role wasn't the best for him. Okay, great. I get it that he may not have had like the perfect gifting for this. But at the end of the day, he just didn't know what he was supposed to do. He was at a high level and his job truly, I kept saying, well, well, what do you mean? What are you supposed to do? What I need you to do is to, it's called MBWA. It's management by walking around. I need you to walk around and glad hand people and love people and check on how they're doing. Because he was like, a volunteer who was kind of over volunteers. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. But he didn't get it. He didn't know how to measure for himself. Like, okay, I, I, as I think about it right now, I've never thought about it in these terms. He was a football player at a high level. He knew exactly what it meant play by play, whether he did a good job or whether he didn't do a good job. But in this volunteer role, he was just walking around. Now, I know what it means to be a relational winning leader. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I was actually, in a sense, Jeff, I was wanting him to ensure that nobody felt anonymous. Fair? Yeah. So I was wanting him to fill the gap of the anonymity thing and just to make his way around to these two, like 125 volunteers on a Wednesday night and love on them. Mm-hmm. But he didn't know what that looked like, smelled like, tasted like. He didn't know how to actually measure whether he was winning or not. Gotcha. At the end of the day, he this was his quote to me. He's a big man, and he told me with tears. This was a, this was a hard moment for me. He said, "Josh, at the end of every Wednesday night, I just feel like the fat kid in junior high all over again. Hmm. Sad, right? Mm-hmm. He felt like the fat kid in junior high because he couldn't. He didn't know what he was supposed to do. Even though I said, "Well, just walk around and kind of talk to people." He couldn't, like, he couldn't measure that. He didn't understand. He didn't have, like, a tally mark to go, I looked in this many people's eyes and said this encouraged. I don't know. It just didn't, it didn't work for him, and he didn't know what he was doing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen that, too, in our own church ministry, where if you just give the broad vision of what someone's supposed to do. Right. So you tell this guy, your job is to walk around and just encourage people to see all of these volunteers and to lift them up. Awesome. There's the vision. <laughs> Assuming people know how to do it because it's intuitive to me. Exactly. And the stress of not knowing, okay, am I actually doing that every single week? Or how to do it specifically? Mm -hmm. It builds up in people and you can kind of see the stress build on their shoulders each and every week. And before you know it, if you're looking for it, but before you know it, all of a sudden as the ministry leader, you see that plate start to fall and you wonder, okay, what I I told you the vision I said, (laughs) this is what you're supposed to do. But having those measurable things brings a clarity and an easiness to people that makes them more excited because they have something that can help them tangibly hold on to that vision. Okay. As long as I do that, boom, I'm holding onto this and I'm making a difference. Okay. Great, great point. By just giving them the vision, that's not enough. I think you're right. I think we need to tell them specifically what they can do to make sure they're winning. One of the worst moments ever 
and this sounds dorky, but it was a terrible moment for me. Um, it was 11 o'clock. It was the third service. And this really like high-powered volunteer was leaving the nursery. And I, I raised my hand up really loud above other people. He was like five, four, five or six people like in a crowd away from me. And I said, Bill, 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 thank you so much for volunteering. Here was his words to me. No problem. I have no idea what I did, but I hope it helped. Hmm. Not cool. So he felt, if, if nothing else, he felt like a placeholder. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm sure even though he said that probably half joking, like, said, yeah, said it in a funny way, but it comes across like, eh, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, much truth is spoken in jest. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, that crushed me. That crushed me. Um, a lot of a lot of leaders might have looked at that, Jeff, and been like, ah, funny guy. No, no, no. I knew deep inside that in that role in the nursery, he had no idea. He was just probably standing there and he felt like a dope. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so a measurement, right? So if somebody feels anonymous, nobody knows them. If somebody feels as if they really don't have any idea what it looks like to win, they're not gonna they're gonna they're gonna be walking around with this great sense of ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Not cool. The last one in this book was irrelevance. Now, a miserable job is doing work that doesn't matter at all, right? So our work in ministry truly, truly is important. It does really matter. But it's our job as a leader, Jeff, right, to connect the dots for people to see why their work matters to the kingdom. Not being able to see that your work matters in the kingdom of God is a sign of a miserable volunteer. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think it's almost, in a sense, a little flip and reverse of what we just talked about with a measurement where we give the broad vision and mm-hmm. then they don't know how to do it specifically. But now irrelevance is feeling like they don't have a broad vision. They don't, right. they don't know exactly what, does this even making a difference? I'm showing up early mm-hmm. 20 minutes and getting a little spiel and then sitting with puking kids in the nursery. So how does that tie into the gospel? Right? Exactly. What's my gospel impact here? Exactly. Now here's the funny thing. Years ago, I did, and by the way, this next thing that I'm going to share is a an integral part of the leadvolunteers.com membership. It's huge. We have like this super cool survey that you can send out to all of your volunteers to find out where they are deficient. Fair. Mm-hmm. I did that with all these different areas. We sent out this wonderful survey. It was pretty fast. And then we got this feedback. When it came to the nursery, the lowest value was their sense of purpose. They said essentially to us, The question was this, do you see how this role in the church supports the gospel? Like 90% of people, these are good, godly church folk. None of them saw how serving in the nursery mattered to the gospel. Hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Because I remember as we sat down to do uh, consulting for lead volunteers with our church, when we were talking about the nursery, there's some of those same questions like, okay, how does what does changing a diaper mean for Jesus? And so as we defined some of those measurable wins, as we just talked about before, it was talking with the parents and you realize, yes. okay, it's maybe I'm not changing the life of this baby, but no, having the parents know that their child is secure allows them to have a more engaged time in the service. Right. So they're not thinking, oh, great, I, where did I leave my baby? Where yes. did I leave this? But they're able to be more engaged with what God is doing in their life in the service. And then also, too, just a couple other wins of getting down on their level and playing with them. Yes. How touch matters to babies, appropriate yes. touch matters to kids of that age. And then just praying for them, knowing that we how, can Okay, can I have an amen? 
praying yes. for these kids as we're taking care of them on Sunday morning. And so as you kind of reframe and understand that vision, then that gives purpose and relevance in that job. And so we've seen that happen over the last few months as we've put some of these job descriptions into place. I mean, seriously, like think about that. What you just said about prayer. If you pray for one kid this week, you moved the kingdom of God forward. Mm -hmm. That's huge. And so then, number one, they know something that they could do. They have something like, did you pray for anybody this week? Yes. Okay, you you could measure whether you prayed or whether you didn't. Yes, I did pray. Sweet! You made a relevant difference. Do you see what I'm talking mm -hmm. about? And so you're, you're completely right. And and I would say that, that the nursery was like a really hard one, um, but it really isn't. You just described it very, very, very well. But the pain for me was to see all of these people who felt that they were a placeholder. Mm-hmm. And it was really, in a sense, I felt like the loser, not them. I felt like the loser. Why? Because they didn't understand how this fits because I wasn't telling them. Mm -hmm. So I had my job cut out for me, right? It was a, it was, it now came down to a vision casting thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Leadership. It's, it's not top to bottom. It's from the bottom up. We're exactly, we're pushing up and supporting our volunteers. And if we create a culture of anonymity and confusion and oh stress, word. then we're not doing a very good job of being their support <laughs> and being there for them. Exactly. And so here's what I would say. Super important. This idea of having volunteers who feel anonymous, lame. Don't have your volunteers feel anonymous. <laughs> Number two, uh, immeasurement. Like who wants to go into a job and have absolutely no idea what you're supposed to do? I'm sorry. We've talked about it before on this podcast leaders in the church plop people into a job and they have no idea where they're going now uh, and also irrelevance everybody wants to make sure that their job has a purpose now here's the deal this this the author patrick lencioni the three signs of a miserable job he said this the cost of a miserable job is very real some studies show as high as 77 percent of workers show job dissatisfaction and the primary driver is not pay or benefits, but rather relationships that employee has and like this widespread dissatisfaction, it kills morale, it kills productivity and drives up the cost of recruiting, hiring and retaining new employees. All of which he says takes a huge and ease, not easily measured toll on the bottom line. Right, so he so he's basically saying high turnover is costly and I, I get that, I mean, you train someone in a paid role and then they leave as a company you have to train someone all over again, and that's a hidden cost, so to speak, and costs the company precious time. Exactly. But here's the deal. It's true for us, right? Ministry momentum is crushed, or at the very least, it's hindered when a key volunteer exits. Now, I heard it, I heard it said one time that when a professor retires, a library burns. Oof. Now, think of that. All of the wonderful information that the that in the, it, that's in the head of that professor, it literally walks with them when they walk off the campus for that last time. Well, it's true for us leading in ministry. Imagine you have this key volunteer who's been with you for several years. They know the culture. They know the basic normative standards. And when they exit from a volunteer role, it's super, super, super painful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some volunteers, they stay for a lifetime. Some volunteers, they only last a short while and so if com continuity of leadership is one of the simple greatest variables in productivity like what factors might be at play when someone is weighing options to quit or to stay in a given role like, are there things we can do to ensure that no one is a miserable volunteer absolutely and i would say in conclusion on our podcast today 
from this book, right? We're talking about books that we've read. Mm -hmm. I would say number one, don't allow your volunteers to feel anonymous. If they bring in a diet cherry Dr. Pepper every single week, get them a diet cherry Dr. Pepper. That means that you know them. Number two, immeasurement. Make sure people know specifics as far as what they could do to win in this role. If nothing else, be super churchy and say, pray for one person this week, and you can guarantee that the kingdom is going to move forward because God truly does hear prayer. I would say the last one is irrelevance. Um, don't have somebody feel as if they have no real idea how this job matters. Not cool. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks, Josh. Thanks for letting us in on to what you're reading or listening to, what you are being filled up with lately. And so this wraps up our time for today. If, if you're a fan of the Lead Volunteers podcast, why don't you go ahead and subscribe, give us a five-star review, leave a little comment and let us know what you think to help us get the word out to other amazing leaders just like you. In addition, check out leadvolunteers.com. We have created the most comprehensive course for you to get organized, retain volunteers, and prevent burnout. That's right. So we'll see you back here on the next episode. Thanks for listening.